Coming up on episode nine of the High Performance Leadership Podcast, John Westenberg. You can't think in terms of thousands when you're starting out. You think of individuals who you're going to connect with who can become your audience. You're listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Insights and information from world-class leadership experts. Thanks for joining us. I'm Randy Lane. Today on the podcast, we're talking with John Westenberg. He's an entrepreneur, consultant, speaker, and coach, but he's probably best known for his writing. His work has appeared in Inc., Entrepreneur, and Time. On Medium, he has over 47,000 followers. We talk to him about setting goals, building an audience, starting a company, and of course, leadership. And now, here's John Westenberg. So I first came across you as an author on Medium. I love Medium. I love reading articles there. And I just kept noticing that in my For You section, articles recommended for me, you kept coming up. And I just kind of was wondering kind of how you got started and uh, how you got into Medium. But can you kind of can you kind of just start with a, a background on yourself? Sure, yeah. So Medium, uh, that was a platform I got into pretty much day one when it launched. You know, I was reading all the articles about it on TechCrunch, and it sounded like the kind of platform that I would love. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. A place for writing and nothing more, a really cool blogging platform. At the time, I was a writer elsewhere. I was writing mostly on WordPress, and it just looked like something I wanted to be involved with. So I jumped on and started writing a few posts here and there, and about a year and a half ago, I decided to go all in. So got rid of my other blog, got rid of writing everywhere else, and just committed to Medium being the one place where I was writing. So why is that? Partly it's the ease of use. You know, I mean, one of the most annoying things to have to do as a writer is maintain a website. Mm-hmm. It's just it's frustrating and it feels pointless because, you know, people don't really care. I know one gives a shit about my website. <laughs> people just want to read some stuff. So, I mean, you know, maintaining a WordPress site is just, you know, it's such a pain in the neck. And then you have to worry about the design and you have to worry about updating things and checking the status to make sure it's all still working the way you want it to. And it, it distracts you from the business of writing. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've done web design in my life. I, I was a designer in a, in a past experiential process, but I'm not a web designer now. I'm a writer now. So that's what I wanted to and medium kind of caters to that. And I mean, the other thing is medium has a built in audience who are there looking for stuff to read already. I look at it as a difference between putting a video up on your website and thinking that you can be a video star or putting mm. it up on YouTube, you know, what's mm. going to get you more results right. YouTube or your website. That's true. So how did you become so popular on Medium? To paraphrase Jay Lederman, I'm an excellent writer. <laughs> um, no, no, it's partly just because I was I was there when it was, when it was pretty early on, so I was an early adopter of the platform. That's, that's definitely something to do with that. But it's also because what I write has really resonated with Medium's audience. I mean, Medium at this stage, when the stage that I was getting onto it was still pop, very popular with the tech crowd, and that was kind of its main main audience and the content that I was writing went down really well with them and as that audience has grown and I've grown with it they've just really stuck with my writing and found something to you know to take home from it I mean I publish pretty regularly at this point I'm writing two posts every day which is a lot of content and I think people like the fact there's always something new they can read from me so let's take a step back and kind of can you give me your background before all this medium stuff sure yeah so I 
I started my first company when I was 18, quite a long time ago now, it feels like. That was a music management company. So we were essentially finding artists, finding bands, developing them, putting tours together, helping to get record deals, that kind of stuff, which was really fun. Um, no, that was great. No, my, that was my first love was the music industry. I had a really deep passion for it. So you guys were kind of was, like the production arm for people. So you'd find the artists and then you'd kind of supply them the infrastructure right, they yeah, needed? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, most most bands need that. Bands aren't very good at business, so they need people <laughs> like myself who are better at it, you know. That's true. Um, and so since then, I have started multiple companies. I have dropped out of law school. I worked in childcare for a bit. I have toured around the world in a band myself. I have been a web designer, a writer. I don't know what I've done. I've just done a lot of stuff, and <laughs> the, the entire way through it, I think it's just been mostly driven by the fact that I have a need to create things. I have a need to be creative and I want to want to do new things, build new things, make new things. And that's just the driving passion behind my work. And it's reached the point now where blogging is kind of my main thing. It's what I love doing and it helps me push towards my lighthouse goal. I like to talk about, about a lot about lighthouse goals. A lighthouse goal is the thing that you have up there in the distance, there's this big idea that's going to guide everything you do in your life and your career. And my lighthouse goal is to help people. I like that. Uh, I, I've heard similar ideas, but I haven't heard it called a, a lighthouse goal. I think that's a good visual image people can kind of think about and say, yeah, okay. So it's important to have, you think, something bigger you can kind of look at and guide how you're going to move from there. Is that the idea? I think so, yeah. And some people say that, you know, your life has to have one purpose but that's not really realistic people people are complicated and they're crazy inconsistent you know like what sounds like a good idea to you one day might not sound like a good idea in 10 years Mm -hmm. and that's why that's why the lighthouse goals you know they they're just things that you work towards that will get you from here to there they're not they're not meant to be i don't know fate or destiny or something like that Mm-hmm. So you say helping people, but how does that really work? So you you do the blogging and, and you do speaking and stuff like that. Um, what other types of ways do you help people? Sure. Well, I mean, um, I do a lot of business coaching. I do a lot of life coaching. I do a lot of writing. My biggest thing that I can do to help people is talk and write and give advice. So I try to focus on those three areas. But it can take a whole lot of different formats. For example, the other day, a French student reached out and asked me to sort of tutor him through his thesis on digital media. And I said, yeah, absolutely, because, you know, that's a fantastic way to help someone. That's just a great opportunity to do that. So sometimes I I try to help many people, and that's through publishing a blog post or working on a book or working on my new video series that I'm putting together. But other times people will reach out to me and they'll have something that they need help with just one-on-one that, you know, the help that only I can give them. And if I have the time, I'll always say yes to that. So what do you think takes up most of your time these days? Uh, watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> it's a good show. <laughs> are you, like, are you binging on it or what? Yeah, pretty much. I, I can't stop watching it right now. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in terms of being productive, I would say it's probably writing. You know, I mean, I publish roughly around 2,000 words a day, a lot of writing. And then, you know, there's, there's writing for other platforms as well. So um, writing for dot com entrepreneur time um always other always other channels who have requested my content you know i try to say yes because i have no idea how much time i have on this weird blue rock so i'd like to put as much content out there as i possibly can with the time i've got and that just means that i spend a lot of my day writing can we talk some about some of your um writings what would you say is your 
your favorite article that you put out there? There's so many. Favorite article. Um, with the, with the posts I publish, I'll have I'll have a, a new favorite post every single week, pretty much. I think one of my favorites would have to be a post called "It's Always Sad When Someone You Know Becomes Someone You Knew." Hmm, that is true. That was that was a very personal post for me, you know. And there's one thing that I kind of have a bad habit of doing. It's disappearing from people's lives. In my, in my personal life, I have known to do an Irish goodbye and just vanish. And people will be like, what happened to John? He used to hang around. Now he's just gone. And so, you know, I think that's partly to do with my childhood. Um, I grew up in a military family and we'd move every one and a half to two years. So I, I never used to keep up friendships. And it was, it, we I came from a very religious family and they were very isolationist and they didn't like us mixing people outside the family. So I think it all kind of contributed to me not really putting much worth or much stock in and other people and not really giving them much value, you know? Hmm. Interesting. What is the kind of advice or the takeaway from that article? What are you, are you trying to help people say goodbye better or maybe cut ties with the people that aren't helpful in their life? There's not always actually a lesson to take away from that in, in these articles. Sometimes the the point of them isn't necessarily to teach something. It's just to make you think about something. And, you know, the point of this one was think about your relationships and think about why you have them and think about how they end. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I see like the featured one on your, your page is the one about, you know, if you act like you're important, you're only proving you aren't. Can you kind of tell me about that article? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, a couple months back, I was invited to head down to um, a, like a incubator, like a, like a startup accelerator. Mm-hmm. And they wanted me to spend a day with them just, you know, working through some of their um, – their startups and giving them some advice and giving them some guidance, which is pretty great, you know. So I head, head down to the airport. Um, I'm in line to get a coffee. I'm feeling pretty tired because it was, you know, like 7.30 in the morning. And these two business bros come walking up in their fancy suits and they try to and they, they push in front of me um, and start ordering over me. And I'm like, hey, hey, buddy. And this guy turns to me and he looks me up and down and he, he goes, Get off the job, you hippie. And, yeah, because I'm just, I'm just wearing like a, you know, a hoodie and a pair of torn jeans and i got my beard going. And it was just this realization that, hey, these people pretty much only saw the world in terms of how it looked to them. Like they didn't try to look past it. They were, they were that shallow. They were that self-obsessed. I just kind of laughed and I, I took a step back and I was like, you do, you know, because if, if someone's got that attitude, there is nothing that I can do to change their minds. Mm-hmm. And it got me to thinking, you know, no matter how important you think you are, you're only ever as important as the people that you that you help, you know, the people that you that you give yourself to. You know, suits and, and fancy job titles and how many connections you have on LinkedIn and whether or not you've made your sales targets like this, that, that does not matter. The only thing that matters is the way you treat other people. Interesting. And it seems like a lot of important people throughout history and, and recently as well, you know, they may not look like the flashiest individual and that sometimes the, the flashy individuals are really hiding maybe some insecurities. Exactly. That's right. You know, like Steve Jobs wears that, that, you know, he wore the turtleneck and the, and the jeans, which on the street, you would never equate with somebody who's super successful. Mm, that's true. I think there's, I think there's always a danger when you try to meet someone and make a snap judgment. You don't have enough data to make that judgment. If you don't have enough data, your judgment's going to be wrong. Yeah, I have a good example of that. I um, this was several years ago. I was going up for a job, and um, I had all the qualifications, and I had just been talking with the guy over the phone, 
and he was like, oh, you know, it's really good. I just, I, I would like for you to come in and kind of meet everybody and basically, you know, kind of see your office and see how it's going to be. And I was like, great, this is, this is perfect. But uh, at the time I had long hair and I, I have long hair again. And I walked in and kind of got that look like, oh, this, this guy here with the long hair, I, he's not what I expected. So mm, I don't know. And I, I didn't get the job. And I, mm. I can't say that it was because of that. And then also um, the time before last when I was unemployed and looking for a job, because the job was coming up, I had long hair and I cut my hair short and kind of cleaned up and I ended up getting the job. So I don't know if that's a contributing factor or if the world mm. still kind of sees people who don't fit the stereotypes, who don't fit their perception of a, of a professional and kind of view them unfavorably. I think the world is definitely like that. I think it's a very shallow place and people just make snap judgments. People don't take the time to get to know people. Yeah, it's interesting now. I I work with a lot of um, business consultants now and they like to portray that they're successful. So they wear the suits and the nice clothes. And here I am kind of, uh, I, I wear nicer clothes when we have big meetings and stuff. But for the most part, I try and dress comfortably and, and I do have long hair and I have a beard. And so... Sometimes they look at you like, who is this guy? Suits are kind of a deal breaker for me. If if <laughs> if I have to do anything when I'm wearing a suit, I will probably not do it. Do you mm. think kind of the uh, Silicon Valley mindset has kind of changed people's perceptions about, you know, the person wearing the hoodie and the tennis shoes over the suit? I don't know about America, but certainly not in Australia. <laughs> Yeah, I think certain part in certain areas and like in in tech or creative industries, I I see it as something that's more acceptable. But still, in a, a hardcore business environment, it's still not very accepted. I think in Australia we're kind of a little bit behind America in that kind of thing. So once you guys do start to accept it, it'll be five years ahead, and we will. <laughs> well, yeah, and it's, I think it's also hard to say in America. There's so many differences. You know, obviously, if you're living in um, San Francisco or LA, you're going to be more progressive. And, and I'm here in, uh, in Texas and it's a little bit more conservative. And actually, you know, here in Texas, if you were going to a formal event wearing uh, black jeans and some, and some cowboy boots, if they were nice, it would be acceptable. <laughs> yeah. So let's keep on going. The, another one of your articles I liked was uh, the one about keeping your work simple. Can you kind of talk about that? Sure. I mean, simple is good. Simple is great because the more you complicate something, the less people are likely to understand it. And, you know, people are not going to identify with a piece of work that is so dense or so complex or so long that they struggle to get through it. Mm -hmm. we, we have this idea that complex is always better. And I'm not sure if it comes partly because the classic books we study in high school are very long and complicated. Maybe that's got something to do with it. Mm -hmm. Or maybe people are just so scared of their work that they're not ready to say to someone, look at, look at what I just made. Mm -hmm. And people worry that if it's not really long, someone's going to think it's not valid. And it comes down to the fact that I'd rather read like a 500 word blog post that says what it needs to say mm -hmm. than a 3000 word essay which is just rants and raves and has all this added information and rambles all over the place and can't stick to a central theme. Right. The simpler your work is, the more people are going to be able to understand, accept it, and take something away from it. And that's what really matters. You know, we don't make this work for ourselves. We don't make it to give ourselves brownie points. We make it for people to understand it. Do you think there's a limit to that as well? Because we're kind of in this society of, of tweets and people maybe 
pare down a message shorter than it should be. So it still has to maybe meet the minimum requirements for getting your message across. I think Twitter is an example of people overcomplicating everything. You know, like when they communicate, they don't, they haven't worked out how to express a simple thought in a simple tweet. They tweet and they tweet and they tweet and they say all this random crap and they don't express themselves clearly enough at all. So maybe the the act of kind of, if you have a complicated idea and it's not going to fit in one tweet, but you really want to tweet it, take the time to make it more concise and make it easier to I, I think understand. the thing is that no idea is too complicated that it can't be expressed in a single tweet. If, if you can't find the words to do that, then you don't really understand the idea very well. Yeah, when I was in journalism school, the, the maxim was, keep it simple, stupid. Kiss, yeah. you've heard that before? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have that issue too. When I'm doing this podcast, I'll sometimes write out the intros to make sure I'm, I'm talking about the person correctly. And if it starts getting convoluted, I'll kind of think of it like one of my favorite NPR broadcasters, how they would say it. And if it's mm. a mouthful even for them, then I would say, you know, maybe I need to revisit how I'm saying this. Yeah, that makes sense. So are there any um, tips you have for people to kind of get to a simpler work? Yeah, ask yourself if what you've done is necessary. So every single sentence in a blog post, ask if it's necessary. You'll find that, you know, once you finish the piece, at least 20% of it will be completely superfluous. You'll have repeated yourself or gone back to re-explain concepts you already explained earlier in the post. Hmm. And if you can find those those pieces, just cut them out. They're not. They don't matter. Yeah. One thing. One thing I do very often is when I finish writing a blog post, I'll go back and delete the first sentence. Most of the time, the first sentence is superfluous because I'm still trying to get into the flow of what I'm saying. So mm -hmm. I'll end up repeating what I said there anyway. Do you ever find yourself? No, I, I find this a lot when I'm writing something. I don't have a great way to end it. So I end up, you know, writing a sentence to end it, but going, I really just wrote that to kind of put a bow on things, but I don't feel like it was necessary. Yeah. You know, if, if you've finished writing, that's the end. Excellent. Yeah. I've, I've tried writing a handful of uh, medium posts because I, I like the platform kind of like you said, and it just, um, it feels like all the other stuff can fall away and you can just write. I haven't got as much traction as you obviously, but I do love before posting it, giving it to my wife and she mm. will look at it and kind of say, you know, why'd you put this section in? Is This was really unnecessary. And I go, okay, so I've gotten the habit now of letting other people read my stuff before I put it out there just to make sure I'm not kind of adding more than I should. Yeah, that's a good policy. All right. So uh, I also like the article, if you don't care about your customers, they can always tell. Can you kind of tell me what your idea was behind that? Yeah, so I was getting into a fight on Twitter with a company called Presto. They're an Australian version of like Netflix. And down here, they've got most of the really good content kind of locked up. So they're owned by a cable company called Foxtel. In Australia, Foxtel are the only people who have the rights to Game of Thrones. And so Presto is the only way you can stream Game of Thrones. Hmm. But the actual service is a absolute nightmare. You know, I mean, you can't just sign up. You have to sign up with a password and an email address and then verify your credit card over the phone. And then you have to set a pin and then you have to set a separate pin for when you're in the app. And there's always this data, which is all because they're paranoid about people stealing their content. Mm -hmm. And then once you do start trying to watch this show, the app crashes constantly. It doesn't support most devices. You can't get through an episode without it freezing. It's an absolute nightmare to use. And you just know that the reason it's so bad to use is that this company does not care 
about the people using it. All they care about is getting money. And this is why no one uses Presto. It's like a, a failed service and hardly anyone actually on it because you can't really use it and everyone can tell that the company doesn't give it. And I think that applies to almost all businesses. Hmm. If you treat your customers like dollar signs, they can tell that you're not thinking of them as people. I would think in your exact example, there's probably an issue in the fact they don't have any competition, right? So you have no other place to go to to get what you want. That's right. Yeah, they can act however they want. Interesting. So um, if a company was having issues with people saying our customers don't view us as personable, how would you recommend them fix that? Yeah, well, if if you're not treating your customers as people, I'd recommend you rethink your entire business (laughs) because there's a major problem there. You're going to turn into Microsoft in 1997. That's true. Well, the the Microsoft now is not that great. I saw a very interesting post. Um, It was at some sort of a conference, and it said, uh, any unattended Windows laptops will be automatically upgraded with Windows 10. (laughs) So I thought that was interesting. Yeah. The the, the newest, latest operating system is known for being so buggy that it's kind of a joke. (laughs) So that kind of shows that they're not thinking of their people if they're making you upgrade to something that's potentially bad for your system. That's right, yeah. (laughs) All right. um, So I also like the article, What Every Entrepreneur Needs to Be Able to Tell Me. Can you kind of talk about that article? Yeah, I think that that article kind of comes back to simplicity again. People need to be able to express what they do in a really easy to understand way. People can't just make a whole bunch of random crap and say they do Uber for X because that's meaningless. Mm -hmm. If you can't explain to me what you do, then why would I be interested in it? That's what it comes down to, yeah. And then also explaining how it works is also difficult for people sometimes. Yeah. All you really need to answer is you know, how and why and what. That's, that's what matters. Have you had any um, examples of people kind of approaching you without a good idea of that? Yeah, look, it is that Uber for whatever. You know, People will approach me to pitch a startup idea and it's always something like, oh, hey, I've made the Tesla of scooters or I've made the Uber of tampons or something like this. And I just don't, I just don't care because that's nothing, that's no useful information. So when people are approaching you with startup ideas, are they looking to clarify their idea or are they looking at you to kind of use your platform to help them hook up with the right people? Both. And I will rarely do either. Do you have any examples of people you have helped on their way or? Well, generally speaking, I will help people who come to me with an idea and they don't say, hey, we want you to make it work or, hey, we want you to tell us if it's a good idea. I help people who come to me and say, we've got an idea and we've validated it and we think it's good and we've run into this specific problem and we'd like this specific advice. Right. Then I'll help people. You know, that's that's someone I can help. Okay, so you're kind of acting as a sounding board for them to kind of bounce their idea off of. Yeah, if someone comes to with a, a specific problem and they've, they've shown that they're actually – trying to solve it on their own and they've been getting some progress together, then I'll help. But some people just kind of want me to do the hard work for them. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> last one I had here on my list of stuff was, um, actually I had two more. So second to last one here is where, you, where you're talking about building your audience. Can you kind of tell me about that? Yeah, yeah. So that's the number one question that people ask me. How do you build an audience? And I guess it is kind of a tough thing to do when you're starting out. But I think it's difficult because people don't look at how to build an audience. They look at, you know, okay, so John Westerberg has, you know, 45,000 followers. How do I get from zero to 45,000? And that's not the way you're supposed to look at it. What you should say is, okay, John has this many followers. How do I get to my first 10? Mm -hmm. You can't think in terms of thousands when you're starting out. You think of 
individuals who you're going to connect with who can become your audience and you build up an audience of individuals you go one-on-one and you say being being active about promoting what you've created not just creating it and, and leaving it there but then taking it to people that you think would would need that stuff yeah you gotta make you put the stuff in front of people otherwise nobody's gonna know that it exists so when you first started and, and you had no audience at all how are you taking your first medium posts and saying this is something you should read i was finding people who into my kind of content on Twitter and I was tweeting at them. I was building a, a list of people to send these posts to via email. I was going to meetups and passing around little pieces of paper that had my medium profile written on it and saying, hey, you guys check it out. So you got to be a self-promoter as well. Yeah, no, you really have to be. People talk about hustling, but no one really does it right. You've got to just take every opportunity to get your stuff in front of people. I think that's really one of the big issues in all of business is people want to create something and they think that creating something good and useful is the end of it. But you have to be out there actually promoting it, talking to people about it, and showing them why it's the best. Creating something good is 20% of it. Yeah, there you go. And then also, I like the part about um, how to survive your first year, first year creating a new business. So what, what are your tips for those first year businesses? Tips for first year businesses. I guess the, the, the biggest one is get through it, you know. Like your first year is when you're most likely to quit. Mm-hmm. If you really want to build a business, you have to get through that first year at all costs. It doesn't have to be dignified. It doesn't have to look great. You don't have to have a great year. All you have to do is just get over that finish line and have done one entire year of running what you're doing. And you don't want to quit so many times, but just keep on going because it's impossible to know whether or not a business will work if you haven't given it a year. So you think a year is the magic timeline for anybody who's thinking about starting something? Yeah, I do, yeah. And uh, yeah, not naturally, but humans think in terms of, of years. Humans think in terms of these these set time frames that they've made up. And because of that, our, our minds are trained to only acknowledge periods of time that happen in, the, in these nice packages. Mm-hmm. So when, we, when, when we're looking at whether or not something has worked, we are never going to feel good about it or completely bad about it unless we've given it a nice unit of time and a year as that unit. I talked to somebody else recently and they were saying that anything more than 90 days is too long for people to really commit to something. So he was saying breaking things up into 90 day increments and saying you have certain goals or whatever. If your goals go past 90 days, you're going to run into issues. You have any thoughts on that? I don't agree with that. <laughs> I think that if you can't commit to over 90 days, then you don't have what it takes to be creative or build a business. Interesting point. As simple as that. You know, show me a book written in 90 days and I'll show you a book that I wouldn't read. <laughs> so we, we have a couple of questions we always ask people on this podcast. Uh, the first being, what is a good example of leadership that you've come across? You can give specific examples of pe- people you've either seen or worked for that have exemplified what you would call leadership and kind of mm. expound upon what you think their qualities were that made them a good leader. I don't think I've ever actually worked for a good leader in my life. I, I can't think of one. I can think of a whole lot of bad leaders. There you um, go. But certainly no, certainly no good leaders. One of the worst leaders I've worked for didn't tell people that his company was about to go under two months before it was supposed to fold hmm. and instead was hiring people all the time and was promising to sponsor people for citizenship so people were making decisions around their lives that that really would impact their families and this guy was just saying yeah 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 the company's doing great and then you know not long afterwards he went to everyone and said yeah the company is about to fold we're letting everyone go 
and then he tried to pin it on his co-founder instead mm. when it was all his fault. It was just the most immature way of doing anything I've ever seen in my life and I thought it was terrible. That looks like a couple of bad issues. The first being communication. You can't have you can't be a good leader if your your communication's not there and he's obviously holding something back and then also he's not trustworthy because if he knows they're in such dire straits, he's not trusting you know, that his employees would stick around if he told them he, you know, things were such dire straits. That's and right. Yeah. Obviously, you know, taking ownership for something is a big part of being a leader. And if you have a failed venture and you're at the helm, blaming the co-founder sounds like a, a really bad idea. All right. Well, if you haven't worked for a good leader, I guess that's a very good example of a bad leader. Yeah. yeah. So um, have you seen people that you've worked with or coached that you think are definitely on the right track as far as being a good leader? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely worked with people who have a lot of energy, have a lot of enthusiasm, have a lot of respect for the people who they collaborate with. And, you know, I think that's the hallmark of a good leader. They, they view themselves as confident collaborators who have the final say. Hmm. So they're trusting the word of the people that they've chosen to to create a team with, but then they're the person who has the ultimate authority. That's right, yeah. Well, that's all I um, had put together. Is there any other articles that you're particularly proud of or any other anecdotes you think would work well on a podcast about leadership? I'm always particularly proud of the next article I write. <laughs> that's a good way to look at it. Do you have any books or podcasts that you are reading or listening to that you'd recommend? Yeah, right now I'm reading a book called Thrive by Ariana Huffington. It's just a very good book about you know, the way we live our lives in the modern world and the way we treat our work, and it's a fantastic read. And uh, where do you see yourself in five years? I have no idea, and I love that. <laughs> I kind of look at the next five years as just being an unwritten story. I, where I go next is, you know, it's boundless. I could be doing anything, and that, that's kind of great. And uh, so if people want to get in touch with you, what are the best methods you'd recommend? Twitter. Always Twitter. I think that's where we've done most of our connecting. So that would make sense. I think so, yeah. And of course, they can find you on Medium as well. Um, Medium.com at John Westenberg. They can find me at JohnWestenberg.com. And you can find me on Instagram.com, John Westenberg. All right. Well, it's been really good to talk with you. Uh, thanks for taking thanks, the man. time. It's been great. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks so much, man. The High Performance Leadership Podcast is also sponsored by Principles of High Performance Leadership, the book by Chip Wilson. The first 100 people to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast get the book for free. That's right, free book. Go to 360solutions.com for more information. All right, Talia, we're here back in the studio again talking about our high performance workshops. So basically the idea is, if you have a company and it's not running quite as efficiently as you think it should, we have a framework we've put together here at 360 Solutions that will move your company from chaos to stability to high performance. And that's through a special system that we've developed where we start off by assessing your company and where it is currently. Then we help you with your strategy. Then we help you develop your leaders. And then we help your leaders develop your teams. And basically that's a, a big wheel and we do the process over and over again until your company gets to where it needs to be, gets to where you need it to be. Okay, Tilly, so we have several of these high performance workshops planned. Can you kind of run down when, where, and who's hosting these events? Absolutely, Randy. Uh, first of all, we're going to have one in Jacksonville, Florida. That's going to be with David Bailey on September 15th and the 16th. Our next one coming up after that is in September. It's going to be the 20th and the 21st, Kansas City with Gail Hermish. 
And then we've got a couple of them in October. Uh, We have one in Minneapolis with Laura Boyd on October 6th and 7th. And then later in the month in October on the 27th and the 28th, we have one in Fresno, California with Mike Goosen. And I know we've got some coming up um, other places in the United States. We've got one coming up in Los Angeles and we'll get um, confirmed dates on that. Excellent. And so if you want information about one of these workshops when they're coming up, you can go to 360solutions.com slash attend, and that will give you all the information you need to know, as well as all the dates on all the different workshops. And you can actually even sign up for a ticket right there. So go to 360solutions.com slash attend. Thanks for listening to the High Performance Leadership Podcast. Make sure and subscribe via iTunes, give us a rating, and leave us a review. Tell everyone you know to do the same thing. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we get, the higher iTunes rates us. Visit our website at hpleadershippodcast.com, tweet at us at twitter.com slash 360 underscore solutions, and find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 360 solutions LLC. That's all together, no spaces. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.